0: Hope, Word, and Prayer, a podcast of rich music, hopeful prayer, and inspiring meditations with East Brentwood Presbyterian Church, a community church in the greater metropolitan area of Nashville, Tennessee. We are a faith community made up of a loving, welcoming family of believers in honest conversation with God. We seek to emulate the ministry of Jesus through compassionate service with stimulating and relevant exploration of God's Word, and by sharing that Word and God's many blessings with our neighbors in Middle Tennessee and around the world.
1: Welcome to Music, Word, Hope, and Prayer. My name is Nate Strasser. I'm the music director here at East Brentwood Presbyterian Church, and I'm going to kick off today's episode. So, John, what are you going to talk about today? I know recently on last Sunday morning, you were talking about power and authority. Now, I really enjoyed this sermon. I thought it was really effective, and you suggested there was a difference between the two, power and authority. and I don't know. I've always sort of thought those as similar, almost interchangeable words. If you have power, you have authority. If you have authority, you have power. But you sort of uh, spoke otherwise on Sunday. So uh, do you want to talk a little bit about that?
2: Yeah. Hey, Nate. And hello, everybody. Um, I've been yeah thinking about power and authority, and it started with something that I heard not long ago from Peter Marty. Uh, Marty is the editor of The Christian Century, and um, the difference that he teased out, he said there's a difference between power and authority, and he teased it out in a a story that happened some 30 years ago um, that really made a great impression on me, and I'm going to share it in, um, in, in this episode. And um uh, and also been thinking about the difference between power and authority with what's going on in our city here in Nashville, Tennessee, and within our state of Tennessee. Um, and recently, um, I've, I've been thinking about it because we lost a minch of an individual in this city, and he was a friend of mine. We go way back in terms of our work with homelessness here in Nashville, and a friend of so many. And his name was Charlie Strobel. Uh, he had a different kind of power, and he had a different kind of authority than what we normally think of in terms of power.
1: Yeah, um, I, I, was, I heard something about that last week, and I guess it was at the Sound Stadium, and he talked about, uh, well, they, they talked about his life and all the impact he had, and impact he had in East Brentwood as well, with Room in the Inn and everything he did with that. Um, so...
2: Yeah. So I was thinking about, Nate, you're saying that you think of them as sort of interchangeable power and authority, and I kind of do as well. Um, and if you turn to the power, uh the definition of power in like Merriam-Webster, for instance, uh, think for a second how you would define it, and then I'll tell you how Merriam-Webster was. I mean, uh, um, what, what comes to your mind, uh, Nate?
1: I think just the ability to... Influence, um, or sort of almost force people into doing what you want to happen.
2: Yeah. So, and, um, to force someone, then that, that then, uh, bleeds over into authority. And, uh, power definition, uh, Merriam-Webster is the capacity or ability to direct or influence the behavior of others or the course of events. And authority, if you look at the definition, is the power or right to give orders, make decisions, and enforce obedience. And I was just out. Uh, we uh, have some orientations going on with our, um, our preschool families, and I was talking with a with a mom who's got a second grader, and 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 the, the kid is having a hard time because the student, um, the kid has a new teacher, and the teacher seems really. Strict and saying, "Mom, he doesn't. She she doesn't like me, and she's so strict and along with authority. And we were just having that kind of conversation. So I know in a lot of households right now, who have school age kids, they may have a teacher that they don't like who um, um, has uh, power um, and authority. Um, But I think the difference between power and authority uh, is is teased out when we look at an individual. Um let's see. Um when you look at a definition of of authority, they talk about it being a title. But I think it's more than a title that one is given. It's attached to a position that is conferred, a teacher or president and CEO. And this means that uh, whichever person holds the position is also granted the authority attached to it but but for some of you who are, who are listening um, you've seen the difference between power and authority like take for instance in our family systems let's take for instance maybe in some of your cases how your mom and dad interacted with you they had power over you as a young kid they wanted to see that you made good decisions I uh, hope. They could enforce a bedtime. But for some people that I talked to, they would say, no, who had the power and who had the authority? And there was a difference between that, you know, for instance, wait till your dad gets home. That's power and that's authority. But then there may be somebody who says, you know, my dad had the power, but my mom had the authority. And what That person may mean is that the ability to love unconditionally and to nurture and support. Anyway, um, maybe you can see the difference between power and authority as we look at our own family. Uh, Nate, have you been watching um, The Succession? Yeah,
1: yeah. Great show. In the last season right now. (laughs)
2: <laughs> I'm hesitant to even mention it because here I am a minister and I'm watching Succession, which is all about um, grabbing of money and power and Logan Roy. And uh, uh, and then there's a whole lot of sexual innuendo and there is uh, a whole lot of uh, expletives. So here I am, even as <laughs> dangerous territory for even me as a minister to, to mention Succession. But we've enjoyed it in our house, and at first I was really reluctant about it, and I'm In season, I'm I'm in season four right now. I'm I'm a latecomer to it. Uh, What did what comes to your mind around Succession?
1: Yeah, there's certainly a lot of power there, and um, how they use that power can can be used in many different ways. And a lot of times in that show, it's it's not used in a good way. But you know, just looking ahead to what the the Bible says about authority and the Bible says about power. In Romans 13, 1, the authorities that exist have been established by God. Consequently, he who rebels against authority is rebelling against what God has instituted, and those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. For rulers have no terror for those who do right, but for those who do wrong. So, wow. I'm going to just uh, talk about some of this in my music as well today. I have a song called Authority. Um, that, that talks about a lot of this as well. So I'm going to bring that into the podcast as, um, today for everybody here.
2: Oh, great, great. Um, it's interesting that you brought in uh, Romans 13. And <laughs> thank you for we could have gone down a rabbit hole with succession, especially the uh, the scene at the funeral in in, in 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 season four, episode I don't know if it's eight or nine, and then the um, when Logan Roy, the power hungry. Um, um, oh, Father Dies. But okay, so I'm so glad that you rescued us. And then you went and introduced another subject around um, about uh, how the, the Bible mentions authority. And, uh, and, and I'm going to um, talk a little bit about um, the authority that's going on within um, our, our state and our, our city and put that up against the life of Charlie Strobel. And I'll end up with that. Uh, And um, and I am going to mention a little bit about the special session that our governor has called us to, and um, and so uh, let's let's get it away because the the authority in the Bible maybe Jesus suggests a different understanding of authority than what you just quoted in Romans as being the um, be in end all be all and end all, and so hey what so you can do the music authority is that yeah. um, all right, great. And so let's get underway with a prayer, and then I will be back uh, after Nate's music to um, to talk a little bit and share that great story that um, I had heard from Peter Marty. So here's the prayer. God, it is indeed the case that we need your guidance. Um, we don't want to admit it, but we do. And it is indeed the case that we need your help and strength. And again, we don't want to admit that either. It is indeed in this day that you may speak a word we need to hear. Maybe it will come in something that is said in this podcast. What we're after is not really to learn more. It is not to acquire more, but to be more. And that may come in being motivated not by our amassing more power,
3: more authority,
2: but coming under the authority of your love. So help us today to be aware and to even see a glimpse of the new creation that's in us and around us. Indeed, wouldn't that be a blessing? Indeed, that may be our blessing. Amen. mentioned uh, this story uh, that I had heard from Peter Marty recently. It's been out for a while. Will Williman had mentioned it back in, I think, 1984. And then it's been picked up in a number of different newspapers, including the Memphis Commercial Appeal and the Nashville Banner and uh, the New York Times. And the story that um, I want to tell you took place some time ago over in southwestern Tennessee in the Chickasaw Forest and wetlands. It's about north and east of Memphis, and there it's very rural. Homes are few and far between. So many towns over there, little towns, uh, little postage uh, stamp kind of towns that hardly make it on the map, but uh, there's one town where something very significant took place, um, and it's, uh, it's the town of Fort Pillow. Uh, and uh, you may know if you're a Tennessean, there is a state penitentiary there. It used to be known as the Fort Pillow Penitentiary. It was built back in the late 30s, and now it's called the West Tennessee Penitentiary. But back in 1993, it was known as Fort Pillow, and there um, five convicts one day um, escaped. And about 30 miles south of Fort Pillow is this teeny tiny town called Mason, Tennessee. And back in 1993, on a rainy February morning, Louise de Graffenfried. Uh, she was a resident of Mason, and she was on the phone with one of her neighbors up the road chit-chatting about those five convicts that had escaped from Port, Fort Pillow three days earlier. They were violent individuals, armed. The five of them overpowered the guards, uh, walked off with their guns. Among the five, they I think they had somewhere around 263 years of prison time. They were serving for crimes such as assault, robbery, murder. And Louise, a um, woman in her 70s at the time, was starting to make breakfast when she heard her cat crying outside, so she asked her husband Nathan to go fetch the cat, and no sooner had she gone and done that than she heard her husband yell, honey, honey, open the door. And she's talking to her friend on the phone who lives up the road, and she tells her friend she has to go, and her neighbor, concerned, calls the police. Well, as Louise would later tell the story, and I'm getting this from Jim Foster who has written about it, she opens the door, and there's this tall man covered in mud with a double-barrel shotgun poked into the side of her husband, Nathan, and they're walking back to the house, and all she could hear were words the men with the shotgun was repeating, Don't you mess with me, old man, or I will shoot you. And Louise, in no time at all, she herself was staring at the barrel of a shotgun. And then Peter Marty gets back and he tells it this way. Louise said, young man. And he cut her off and said, did you hear what I was saying? You interrupt me and I'll shoot you. And he walked both Nathan and Louise back into the house. And as she would later tell the story, she was actually more mad than she was scared at that time. And when she had time to settle into the moment with arms by her side, she said, young man, I am a Christian lady. We do not allow violence in this house. This is God's house. And she said to him, now you go put that gun right down. You go put it right over there and you come and sit here at the kitchen table. Well, he stares at her in silence. She repeated her order. I said, you go put that gun down right now and you sit there. He slowly leaned the shotgun against the couch, and he took a seat. She was, remember, starting to make breakfast. And he said, Lady, I am so hungry. I haven't eaten for three days. Well, she said, Let's have some breakfast. And so she cracks some eggs, puts them in the bowl, puts some bread in the toaster, cooks some bacon, pours some coffee, and Louise takes some silverware. And in the narrative that follows after the story, her fine linen napkins and puts them at three places around the table for Nathan, this intruder, and herself. What's your name, she said. Riley. And she proceeded to put the food on the table. and Before he eats, she grabs her hand his hand, his shaking hand, in her own hand, and she says, we're going to give thanks to God that you came here and that you're safe. She said a prayer, and she asked him if he wants to say anything, and and as she would tell the story later, he looks at her kind of funny, and she would later recount, I figured out then and there, that they don't say grace in prison, and I told him that we always have a scripture verse after we say our prayer. Well, Riley couldn't think of anything, so she suggested to him, Why don't you just say, Jesus wept. Shortest line recorded in scripture. So he bows his head and mumbles, Jesus wept. After breakfast, Louise held Riley's hand a second time. She asked about his family and learned of the death of his grandmother. Riley, trembling all over, said that no one in this world cared about him. And she said, young man, I love you, and God loves you. God loves all of us, every one of us, especially you. Jesus died for you because he loves you so much. And then Louise said to Riley, I bet you would like to give yourself up. And he said, oh, no, lady. Oh, no. They'd kill me. They'd kill me in a heartbeat. Louise said, no, they won't kill you. There won't be violence in this house. This is God's house. And that's when Louise saw out of the corner of her high that there were four squad cars coming up her long driveway, and Riley saw her distracted. So he jumps up and grabs the gun, and Louise says, You sit down right now and put that gun down. You are in my house, and you don't have to worry. Louise proceeded to get up. She exited the house to confront the police and the state troopers. And they were running in all directions. And standing in her front yard, she yells out, Hold it right there. You all put your guns down. Yes, there is a young man in my house, but you're not going to hurt him, and he's not going to hurt you. I don't exactly know what they thought of what Louise was telling them. But one account said they holstered their guns. They spoke through the bullhorn and they ordered this Riley guy to come out of the house. And then Louise went back onto the porch and she called into the house and she said to her husband, Nathan, I want you and Riley to come out together. And that's what they did. They came out with their hands up. The authorities seized Riley, handcuffed him, took him away. About the story that was reported in the National Banner, the Memphis Commercial Appeal, the New York Times, retold by various people, as I said, from Will Williman to Jim Forrest, and most recently remembered by Peter Marty in a talk he gave earlier this year, Riley Arsenault may have had all kinds of power to his name. He was 26, a muscular man. He had a loaded shotgun. But Peter Marty says Louise had authority. She had incredible authority. There was something about her words, he said, or her house or her character. Maybe the authority was in her bacon and eggs or her faith. Something gave her incredible authority. She didn't have Riley's power. But he says she had the power of authority, and the difference between these two is huge. So when we look at the stories of Jesus, we see Jesus as one who had authority. He, as Nate said in the opening with Romans 13, he gave and recognized the authority of Rome, but he had another kind of authority. He, he didn't have standing armies, he had no particular social stature. He he didn't really have any recognizable privilege. He didn't have academic credentials. He certainly didn't have money. Uh, he wasn't uh, a man who had all the money of Logan Roy of succession or anything else close to material wealth. No, Jesus had none of these things. But time and time again, he exercised tremendous authority in the stories we read. And you can page through the scriptures. and. Uh, He could silence the violent wind and the seas. He could um, silence and put in one's right mind the garrison demoniac who's out chained among the tombs. And then there's a story in Mark 1, and I'll put it in the liner notes, where he had the authority um, when he was preaching one day in the synagogue at Capernaum. It takes place during worship. Everything's going great when suddenly right in the middle of a Torah reading, there enters this guy coming down the center aisle and he's convulsing and he is letting out these gurgling and cho- choking sounds and and then this man cries out and it's in Mark 1, What have you to do with us, Jesus? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. He stopped his teaching this Jesus. He looked right at that man, and he spoke to the spirits in him and said, Be silent. Come out of him. And the text says those words, absolutely astonished. And then it is recorded, this one doesn't teach anything like the scribes we know. This one teaches with authority. There's that word, authority. Very different understanding than how we open it up with our definition of what power And authority was, in the opening, power, the capacity or ability to direct or influence the behavior of others or the course of events, position and office determines a person's authority, Authority authorities attached to a position it is conferred to. This Jesus who had no recognizable, distinguishable things that society would give him in terms of power and authority, but yet... He did. And it leads to the question, what gives Jesus this authority? And it's a question we might ponder today, but also over a lifetime. And then back to Louise, what gave her the authority? Was it her house? This is God's house, she said. Was it her personality? Or was it her voice from heaven kind of authority? Young man, what was it? For her... She was a follower of Jesus Christ. And we know that there was something about being in the presence of Jesus. There was something about being in his company that worked on people. And we'll never fully know what that is. Although we get glimmers. We get glimmers even in our own lives of the spirit of, quote unquote, Christ in us, end quote. And so we can see and we can feel and learn from some about that authority. But what else besides his presence? Well, I was listening to Peter Marty. He says there are a couple of other things I would say about the authority of Jesus. And he says this. It was something about his words, he said. He chose words, and he put them together differently than the scribes do. And when you hang around people who, you, who know a lot of stuff, he, he says you may learn a lot, people who use words. But Peter Marty says that when you hang around with Jesus, you don't learn more. You become more. More. His words. For some, I know they form us. They give shape to our lives. You know how, when a conversation can get personal, when personal language gets spoken, that it deepens the intimacy between people. People get formed. And with Jesus, his language is very personal. His words make stuff happen, they may make beauty. They reveal truth. His words reveal integrity. His words make dispirited lives, Marty says, reanimated. And I've seen where his words make the hopeless hopeful. And those words of Jesus can do things in you that neither you nor your friends can probably imagine And you and I can never really know what words of Jesus will reshape us, rely on us, and make us more than we can be on our own or by ourselves. The other thing about Jesus' authority is love. You, You could sense his authority even when he wasn't doing something spectacular because his authority did not rest in a title or manipulation or coercion. And we know from the cross that authority did not rest in power. I like to look at the cross and the action of the cross through the lens of love. If you think about it, power always seems to have a coercive element, the capacity to make somebody do something or to control them. Remember what Riley said, don't say another word, old man, or I will shoot you. True authority is never coercive. And if we look at it through the lens of love, and especially through the lens of Philippians 2, 5, it's built on sacrificial love. Let the same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God did not regard equality with God as something to be exploited, but emptied himself, taking on the form of a slave, being form in human likeness and being found in human form. He humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. When I think of the people I admire the most are the ones who maybe sacrificed the, the most, who reflected this kind of love. And so, you know, there's, as I said in the opening, there's so many things going on in the state and in the city right now. And recently, we held a celebration of life service for Father Charlie Strobel. Uh, it took place, as Nate said, at the home plate of the Nashville Sounds Baseball Stadium. Becca Stevens, who's founder of Thistle Farms and uh, a rector at uh, St. Augustine's and a dear friend of Charlie, was the speaker, uh, One gave one of the eulogies. And she talked about the time when she was starting Thistle Farms and Charlie was out running Room in the Inn. Room in the Inn was written up recently uh, by Margaret Wrinkle in the New York Times, as was the life of Charlie Strobel. And uh, Becca related the story that she was new. She was trying to multitask with this new nonprofit called Thistle Farms, which now um, replicates around the world and certainly nationally, the work that's being done with women who are marginalized. Uh, she's also a preacher, and it came to Sunday morning. She says, Charlie, um, I need help. I have to... I don't know how you do it, running two organizations, and I have to preach in about an hour's time. And I don't know what I'm going to say. And Charlie replied to her saying, what you need to do is open up the scriptures and turn to the Gospels and read a gospel, the words of Jesus, and then close the book and say to the people, his words are so beautiful. Let us just (laughs) lose you some time to reflect on them. His words were beautiful, as was his life. And His words, with his words, were not about trying to learn more. They help us be more. About his words and about the scriptures, uh, someone said uh, they had an encounter with him. And Charlie said to this person, where do you find yourselves in the scriptures? This is a Catholic priest who stepped out of the church, but in some ways was more church than church itself without the steeple over his head as he defended workers. He defended the poor and, of course, the unhoused and the homeless His was not the faith of simple sentiment, but of wrestling with power and standing on the side of justice. Where are you finding yourselves in the scriptures? And on that day in Capernaum, if you read Mark 1, they were in the Torah readings, and Jesus stopped his teaching, looked at the convulsing man, and said, silence, and to that which was troubling him, he said, come out. And the people who were observing said, who is this man? Who is this Jesus? He speaks with more authority than the scribes. He speaks with what they saw and Jesus' was more than raw power. It had the power of love, and in that love they saw the secret of his authority. And Charlie Strobel modeled that. Writer Margaret Wrinkle wrote, His life was proof that one life can change the world. In her recent New York Times article, and I've put that in the liner notes. You're probably wondering what happened uh, to Riley and to Louise. She kept in touch with uh, Riley after he was sent back to to prison. Uh, Louise asked for Riley's photo, and she put it in her family album. She would call him on his birthday and around Christmas. She would visit him in prison. She'd work for Riley's eventual release. I think he got out in 1994. He would move to Nashville. He got a job in a manuf- manufacturing plant, got married, had a child. Louise had enormous impact on Riley's life. Riley wrote, after looking back over my life in solitary, I realized I had been throwing my life away. He remembered praying with Louise when she came to visit him in prison, who would start off her prayer. She said, God, this is your child. You know me and I know you. Be with your child. And Riley responded, that's the kind of relationship I want to have with God. Not coercive power. But authority. And when Louise died, Riley sat with the family at the Mount Sinai Primitive Baptist Church. He delivered one of the eulogies. He was a pallbearer carrying her body to the cemetery. I realized after I shared that story on Sunday, I realized that Charlie Strobel's mother had been visited by an escaped convict from Michigan Here in Nashville, Tennessee, the outcome was much different. She was kidnapped and murdered by the man who escaped from Michigan. Mary Catherine Strobel was a beloved figure in her community, a role model for service to others, and her murder shocked the city. And it turned Charlie's world upside down. But Charlie was an opponent to the death penalty, and when he spoke for his family at the funeral, he said, we're not angry or vengeful, just deeply hurt. We believe in the miracle of forgiveness and extend our arms in that embrace. Friends would say that they would sometimes drive around with Charlie, retracing the steps, that the convict escaped, took his kidnapped mother, and made that road to remember the cost of that life. That translated into caring for the homeless. And there were times when he was depressed in the months following that. But he kept on looking out his window and seeing the homeless out in the cold. And it was though it was his mother's voice who said, Let them in, let them in. And it changed his life, and it changed this city. He was a gadfly glad to those in authority. But at home plate recently at Nashville Sound Stadium, we remembered him as a person of great authority, the kind that we would like to follow. Like Jesus, who spoke a word that day to the man at the synagogue in Capernaum, This Jesus who spoke a word of love to Louise and to Charlie and through his words, their lives were formed. What are you to make of today's collection of stories of Louise and Riley, of Charlie, so many directions you could take in your own mind? Maybe the message to you is that Jesus seeks to speak a word to you that may or may not help any of you know more but I trust will help you become more. And to all those unhealthy spirits in you and me, and whether it's judgmentalism or weariness of the soul, he may say to you, as he said to that man in Mark 1, silence, it's time to come out now. Or maybe in the light of the witness of the likes of Charlie and Louise, it is this difference between power and the power of authority about how the words of Jesus shaped their lives And that those who sacrifice the most in the way of love also end up possessing the most authority. On August 21st, politicians who are in power will return for a special session called by Governor Lee. Originally to deal with, in a special session, with sensible gun laws, especially to guard the population and our children from those who are a danger to themselves and to others using existing Tennessee code. I wrote about it recently in our newsletter, written on August the 6th, which happened to be the day of Charlie Strobel's death, as well as the day of Hiroshima, when we remember dropping the greatest bomb of power and authority that ended World War II. And in my letter and in this conversation I'm having now, inviting and urging people to contact those with the power, those who have authority, but to use your authority guided by the words and witness of the Spirit of Christ at work in you, forming you, because there is where we have true power and true authority to say it's time for us to do something different in this city and in this nation and in this state with regard to sensible gun laws. There's a lot of power, and power always is coercive. And behind the barrel of the gun is where you have the great course of power. And there's the power of authority. And as we all know, as Peter Marty said, the difference between the two is huge. So thanks for listening. I have um, some links in this uh, description of this episode to take you to Margaret Wrinkle's article so you can learn more about Charlie Strobel. Also, the story about uh, Louise and Riley, and then also how you might be able to contact those with power and authority and to speak your mind and your heart. Thank you for listening.
0: Thank you for joining East Brentwood Presbyterian Church today for music, hope, word, and prayer. To learn more about the life and ministry of EBPC, our commitment to being a Matthew 25 congregation, or to support this ministry with a financial contribution, visit us at our website, ebpctn.org, or visit us on Facebook at East Brentwood PC, or subscribe to our YouTube channel, EBPC Videos.